0: Hello Dave! Ah, hello <laughs> Ollie. You're looking
1: very nice. Ooh, golly. Is that a new, is that a new parting in your hair?
0: No, I'm just pleased that, that doesn't even work. <laughs> uh, hello, welcome to Sustainable 43. How mm. the devil are you? Oh,
1: well, I'm good. Uh, I am feeling particularly amorous. Mm. I am uh, in the mood for
0: love. You are, and so am I, and no doubt so are all of you, because as this goes out, it is Valentine's Day, the 14th of February, but of course we are recording it in advance, so we haven't yet had our deluge of Babel love cards. Uh, I'm sure they're coming, I'm sure they're coming. So we are going to talk all about love. Ooh, isn't love lovely? Isn't it a reason to be cheerful, Dave? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we can talk about that in a minute. (laughs) We will be talking about the cheer of love. We will be talking about some things that people like to do um, with love, including um, well, Hoover-related things. Um, that that's coming up for some love-themed Babel babble. Um, some people like a little bit of rough aloe <laughs> for their <laughs> for their love interests. Uh-huh. That Mark Mark Ruffalo we're going to talk about. And but for some people, the the outlook. For love is, is not great, and so we're going to talk about BP's um, annual energy outlook.
1: Bloody okay,
0: hell. <laughs> yes, all right, very good. So, we are your friendly little
1: podcast about the environment uh, with. Jokes and uh, all tortured, of the Tortured,
0: tortured puns mainly. Tortured
1: puns and terrible inner sadness. And we are going to talk to you about all sorts of stuff, none of which is the opinion of anyone other than me and him, although we do work for environmental charities. If you have any problems with any of the love speak that we love, twit at each other, take it up with us and not with anyone else.
0: All right. Okay, Dave, hit me with your love muscle. <laughs> Reasons to be cheerful and appreciate your input. So we're starting straight away with the biggest reason to be cheerful of all. The whole world, mainly Clinton cards, but the whole world is going yeah, to get... bloody card factory. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we'll come on to them. Is going to get very, very excited because um, only today, this is the only day of the year where you're allowed... To love somebody, isn't that right Dave? (laughs) That's right yes, 14th of
1: February that is the time when everyone sits around and because they love someone very much they buy them stuff that card companies tell them to buy they take them out for meals that restaurants tell them that they should be taken out for meals for and they generally surround them with an orgy of total total tat and they (laughs) sit there in their nice little couples looking at each other, talking about things because that's what you're supposed to do isn't it on Valentine's Day you're supposed to sit and talk talk to people and have nice conversation. And then you go home at the end of the night and you have sex. <laughs> and it's better than normal sex because it's <laughs> Valentine's Day sex. Brilliant. Well, I hope you all have a lovely time. Oh, what
0: a time to be alive. You get a load of stuff
1: around this time of year. I've seen loads of it. about um, Because... Journalists struggle, as do poor little podcasters, to find links between the subject they want to write about and the thing that's actually important. You get a load of stuff about, for example, how roses, which people, because they're idiots, dole out colossal amounts of money for, like that total Belen Jay Z. Do you see how many? He gave Beyonce 10,000 roses the other day. You <laughs> what? See that? Ten thousand roses.
0: That's about nine thousand nine hundred ninety. No, hang on. What's it? Twelve? You're supposed to do nine thousand nine hundred eighty-eight. Too many. <laughs> it is. What would you do if you got home from being out
1: uh, doing non-romantic things on Valentine's Day, and you got home and and you found your house full of
0: ten thousand roses? What would you do? Uh, what would? You, well, yeah, I don't know. It's a strange question. I haven't really considered it before. Okay. I think I'd get quite freaked out. I think that's would well, That's the point. I think going
1: out with Jay-Z would freak you out anyway, given that he also bought Beyonce a bloody island not that long ago as well. Oh um, anyway, the point of the roses thing... You get thing, the feeling
0: he's trying a bit hard. Yes, I think he's <laughs> compensating a little bit, don't <laughs> yeah. you? Yeah. It's just like, just cook me a nice meal, you know just surprised me so the point of the
1: roses thing was that this piece has come out with Australian rose growers because a lot of the roses that we have in the UK come from Australia because it's bloody February and of course we don't grow roses yet in February although my parents daffodils are out that's all separate matter Um, they're getting uh, more expensive the reason being that they're blooming later in the year you're actually getting more more roses per year but that's a problem because it's in your
0: rose bushes basically why is it knackering, rose knackering uh, <laughs> the rose bushes why is it knackering the rose bushes sorry <laughs> awkward question yeah but flowers are a funny thing aren't they i mean i i am, I'm, I'm aware of um kind of ethical flower shops in fact i sent some to my mum the other day because uh, she had uh, a poorly foot um but in general, most of the flowers which are bought and shipped around are a colossal kind of eco crime, really, aren't they? They all get shipped in from somewhere else in the, in the world. They're all a lot of them are grown in hot houses and greenhouses, and yeah. um, goodness knows if there's any actual sort of real fair trade stuff going on when they are growing growing on the rest of the rest of the world. And it's yeah. just you know. We can, we can grow loads of interesting things in this country. You don't have to give somebody flowers throughout the, throughout the year. And like you say, it's a bit odd that we choose to do it in February when you can get some beautiful English flowers um, any time later in the year. So, yeah, stop it. Stop it. Or maybe just take the approach that um, we talked about when we were talking about Christmas and someone suggested <laughs> to me you could just print out some flowers and stick them on the wall and therefore it would save space as well and they wouldn't go off and die and like, get all smelly and need watering. So, win-win. that bloody where are they flowers.org.uk
1: they ought to know flowers.org.uk they'll know about stuff (laughs) I had a look at their website this is great this This is is really good this is great (laughs) for two reasons right so firstly what they have is they admit that they they import a lot of flowers from all over the world because you know we don't grow them so you can get like chrysanthemums from the canaries and carnations come in from Chile and Ecuadorian roses and all that sort of stuff so stuff comes from all over the world right and there's a great big list of it fair enough right but this sentence that you're about to hear tells you everything that is wrong with valentine's day and everything that's wrong with the entire planet despite our open green fields and beautiful woodlands the uk simply does not have enough space to grow all the varieties of flowers required all year round hmm Required, eh? Required. required. Now that's a, Required is an interesting <laughs> word. There's a word, required. Need. Required and need. Those are words that come up really quite a lot when you're talking Babel, right? We don't need bloody Kenyan carnations. We need bread. That's what we need. We need a chair to sit on. Yeah. We need, what else do we need? The odd right? item of clothing. Yeah. Beer. Pants. Beer. And kittens, we need those
0: things. I think things. that's it, yeah. We don't need orchids from Thailand or spray carnations from no, Turkey. Dave. No, Dave, we need flowers all year round. We need a variety of flowers all year round. So what are we supposed to do? Because what, what other happen? options do we have other than to import them?
1: It's total babble, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's everything that's wrong with the way that basically our economy thinks about the planet. It's basically, look, I would love, I would love, hey, hey, we are responsible. We would love to get these things from the UK, but we need them. So we (laughs) have to ship them from the other side of the world pointlessly to give to people who probably don't love you anymore anyway so that they can go along with the silly ritual invented by a card company who are then selling cards that people don't really want to give to people anyway. Um, And the whole thing is just a great big never-ending cycle of guilt and artifice. There's no need involved in that, mate.
0: What about the other side of love? What about the human interaction? What about the need to, you know, see people? And life is short, Dave, isn't it? If there's one thing that the Babel has taught us, it's that We really mustn't waste time. And um, one of those arguments is, well, what if if there's somebody I love who lives on the other side of the planet or, you know, my family who live on the other side of the planet? Should I forego going to see them um, because we know that flying in an aeroplane is bad for climate? You're talking
1: about love miles. I am talking about love miles. I think that's a
0: term coined by our friend, friend of the Babel, George Monbiot. Um, who obviously writes a lot of very eloquently expressed articles um, about kind. Well, you know, you know the stuff about the the planet and people's behaviour. And he was, I think, has argued that actually it is, you know, people's well being is is an important part of. Fixing all of our planet 's problems, and if you have got people that you love and you want to spend time with, then um, it 's worth it and it 's better to have a happy, fulfilled climate campaigner uh, who sees their friends and relatives uh, every now and then rather than a righteous climate campaign campaigner who can 't remember what their mother looks like
1: well that 's the thing isn 't it? I have this argument in the pub all the time, and actually in my life in the past i 've been responsible for a fair few of these here love miles right what I'd- Yes, I know. And You've was- taken flights. Yes, I have. Yes, I got <laughs> on an aeroplane. Yeah. Whilst on there, I burned car tyres for no reason. And I set fire to the sick bags because that <laughs> I'm just totally, totally... For those two hours, I don't care about the planet. You um, ordered the
0: foie gras and then just threw it away. Threw it away?
1: That's right, yeah. Um, I kind of see the point. And I, there are friends of mine, friends of ours, who are, who are very deep green, environmentalist-y type, environmentalist-y type people who agonise about this and never fly anywhere and only ever go on holiday to places very close to the UK. And if their friends go to the other side of the world, they don't ever go and see them. I just think I understand the anguish and all that. But have you any idea how many big, fat businessmen fly all across the other side of the world to like be seen to keep up appearances to go and meet with someone who you know just wants to see them and then flies all the way back i know someone who's flying all the way in new zealand for 2 days in a wee bit of time for a meeting is coming all the way back again like get rid of all of that stuff get rid of totally pointless and unnecessary cultural artifact stuff where actually you could quite easily do that on video conferencing um get rid of that then when we've got rid of all of that let's top up see how we're doing in the whole ruining the planet for no reason stakes and then if you need to make people stay at home and not see the people they love ever again and you have to make people sad well let's do it in that order yeah,
0: I think that's. I think that's a very, uh, very good point. Very well expressed. It reminds me of our friend uh, Leo Murray, who was talking on the podcast, the Weekly Economics podcast that we went on um, about. Nice f- work, old plug. Plug the podcast that has many more listeners than we do. Well, look, I'm a uh, movement generous. That's what I am, Dave. Movement yeah, I know you generous. Are. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so on that uh, excellent podcast, just not quite as excellent as this one. Uh, Leo went on there and talked about the frequent flyer levy or frequent flyer tax, which is. Talking about precisely what you just said, the idea that everyone should be allowed to take the odd flight now and then, you know, why why not? Um, but if you're going to take loads and loads and loads, then you have to pay an ever increasing amount of tax. The polluter pays. People who do the most polluting pay the most. But otherwise, you should get a tax free flight a year. And you know, I think that's I think that's the right approach. I I'm done with feeling really, really guilty about my, frankly, quite modest flying habits. Not as modest as some, particularly people who are in much less financial health than I am, uh, but still in the scheme of, like you say, your big, pinstriped, fat-cap businessman wafting over the Atlantic as if it doesn't even matter, then I think I'm doing all right. Do you think we, as climate environmentally hippie, hair-shirty bunny, bothering people uh, <laughs> could could do with just being a bit more loving? Do you think there's a problem with the environment movement that we're very wow. good at going, oh, God, you're all bastards. Oh, for goodness sake. Oh, there's Babel over there and this guy's in Inhofe. Do you think we might get a bit further if we just put our arms around people and said, look, what you've just done there is massively stupid, but I love you. Oh, wow.
1: Uh... <laughs> Crikey! Seeing as it's Valentine's Day, (laughs) seeing as it's Valentine's Day, come on! All right, you know what? I'm going to say something that's going to flabbergast and surprise you. Right, so brace yourself.
0: Braced.
1: (laughs) I think there's not enough love in the world, Oll. I think love is just about the only thing that keeps us from the miserable, depressing entropy of everything, right? Love is nice. What does entropy mean? Entropy is everything's falling to bits. Everything, everything. You put something in a place, it will fall to bits. You mm. put a kitten somewhere, it will turn into a cat and then it will die. You put a planet somewhere, it will turn into a black hole and then it will die. Right? Basically, that's the that's that's what the universe is. Everything tends to disorder, except love. And we are basically futile little messed up bags of water that accidentally understand the state of everything. That state of everything is bleak, meaningless, and pointless. And the only thing we can do is reach out to some other pointless little bags of water and hug them and. Have have sex with them and tell them that they're nice. Um, And actually, I think a bit more love in the world is a good thing. And I do reckon, actually, psychologically, and this is going right back to what Tony Juniper said back in episode 38, that you've got a choice, right? You've got a choice, which is to go, oh, this is all terrible and awful, or you go, actually, no, it's all right. And love is basically the act of going, this is all right. It's an outward thing. It's about going, yeah, I am optimistic and I love you and you and you, even if you smell or vote for parties that want to kill the ugly fish
0: i've got a challenge for you and everyone listening in the spirit of that very eloquently made case let's all commit to going and hugging a shell employee or a uh uh, a fracker let's find francis egan hug a fracker hug a a fracker. fracker let's find francis egan and just just go up to him gently kind of nuzzle his neck and say francis it's okay it's not your fault So, sustainable of the week, this is the section where we have a little look around all that Google has to offer and go, hmm, that's fishy. And it's usually fishy because somebody is claiming that everything's all green and good and it isn't. So, this week we cast our eyes to a foreign land. Where are we looking, Dave? We are going to India.
1: Very good. So, this is about cars um, and specifically about air and cars. And my attention was drawn to this because um, I didn't actually read the babble at first. I read the reaction to the babble that the Environment Minister of India had said. So the Environment Minister of India, uh, a guy called Prakash Javad Dekar, apologies for pronunciation, um, he described something as crazy. And what he was describing as crazy was a claim by Jaguar Land Rover, the boss of Jaguar Land Rover, whose name is a guy, a German, called Ralph Speff, Um, who had said this. The latest EU6 regulation schemes have got technical features which can clean the air in Delhi. These kind of vehicles drive like a hoover.
0: So, um, what's he talking about, he is talking about air pollution. He's, mm-hmm. um, he's basically saying that his new cars are very, very clean, that they've got special technology in them, which are meeting these tough, tough standards um, of pollution regulations called Euro 6 or EU 6. Is that from Europe? From Europe, from Europe, yeah. Oh, and of course, go back to episode 42 and listen to everything about Europe. Do, do. Uh, yeah, and he's saying that these cars, um, because they're fitted with special technology to meet these stringent standards, are in effect going to be producing stuff out of their exhaust cleaner than the air in which they're driving around. Because Delhi is, like a lot of big cities, but particularly in Delhi, is very, very, very polluted. Yeah, now, that, that
1: I can vouch for. I've been there. It is extraordinary.
0: Really? I'd forgotten you'd been there. What was it? Do you sort of taste it, chew it, see it, and you feel it in your it eyes? Is, is it, it is
1: the sort of. So, um, as you know, I like to bang on about stinky air in general. And since coming back to Stinky London, I've been overwhelmed by the stinkiness of London's air. But it is nothing compared to Delhi, where it's, it, you can taste it and you absolutely feel it. You could, it you, it's almost like you, can, you want to get out a knife and swish it around in front of you and see the air part. It's just totally horrible. It really is horrible.
0: Ugh, yeah. Well, um, going back to this this babble, what he's saying is because the air outside is dirtier than the air coming out of my uh, exhaust, I'm basically functioning as a hoover that the car is somehow cleaning up the air. Now that can't be true. Well, so it, it, that's, that's not how it works. Because, I mean, I t- is it? <laughs> that's not right it's not right because what's going on in the car is a combustion engine is burning some fossil fuels which emit toxins and it might be emitting slightly fewer of these toxins like nitrogen dioxide and um other things uh but but it's still emitting them where it wasn't emitting anything when it was turned off just because some of the really really filthy and in any way in some ways more toxic air is also swilling around where the driver and the passengers are, doesn't make it somehow being cleaned. It's, no. it's, not, it's not a Hoover, is it? It's not, it's not a Hoover, unless
1: Hoovers don't work like I think they work. So I don't think that it works that the car takes in stinky air from Delhi, spits out slightly cleaner air in its bottom, but I don't think it then holds on to the stinky air from Delhi, otherwise it would just blow up, it would inflate, and you'd start getting really, really massive cars, <laughs> like David Burns' inflatable suit. And I, I don't know that that isn't what they've done,
0: but I don't think it's what they've done. <laughs> It, it would well. I mean, he described it as a game changer, and if that really is uh, what's happening, then it is a game changer. And and, and apologies to um, to Mr. Speth, 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 Ralph Speth. Sorry, Ralph. So, Inhofe time. This is the section of the show named after Senator Jim Inhofe, who is an American man, and he is also no. a end. <laughs> <laughs> it's alright. We called will.i.am a bell.end, didn't we? Before,
1: oh yeah, so? we did. Yeah, so uh, it's probably alright because he is I a end.
0: I feel like that's unfair on bell.end. We should reserve Bellend for Bell.end uh, and Inhof <laughs> should be something far worse. He's... He's a... Can't really say that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Nincompoop. He's a nincompoop. <laughs> That's what he is. He's a nincompoop because he thinks climate change isn't real purely because there's still some snow. So, we've named the section of the show after him, and we look for people who are a bit nincompoopy too. And we've got a new one this week. Somebody you probably haven't heard of, but someone who is right up there with the most Inhofe E of all the Inhofs. Who is it, Dave?
1: Yes, this is BP's chief economist nincompoop, a guy called
0: Spencer Dale. Spencer, so- you're a dick even before dave's got started you're a dick i just want you to know that and i want anyone who knows spencer to go and tell him he's a dick sorry yes. dave carry on and
1: if you've got a valentine's card half written for spencer dale tear it up burn it <laughs> send him the ashes of it do what i did when i was 10 years old hey when i was 10 years old i got given a love letter all, by the girl oh. at my school that i was like desperately in love with and she gave oh. it to me in front of all my friends and i was so embarrassed i tore it up in her <gasps> face No Yep Then later in the toilet I pieced together all the pieces And saw it was a love letter And I threw the bits of love letter Into the toilet And flushed it Oh my god She then went out with my nemesis The guy who uh, used to Throw bits of spit on me When I wasn't looking I don't like love
0: Dave I'm so sorry I had no idea (laughs) It explains so much
1: (laughs) Oh tell me Anyway, so Spencer Dale. So what Spencer Dale has done, so he has been the gob piece for a thing called the BP, which is a big, mahoosive, financially imperiled oil company. Um, Every year they do a thing called their Energy Outlook. And what they do is they entirely neutrally and with no agenda whatsoever look forward to the next 20 years and they say, here's what we think the world's going to use in terms of energy. And so they do this big bit of work and it's launched with a whole load of fanfare. And they say... Well, we think GDP will be X and we think that solar power will be able to do Y and we think people will still drive cars this much and we still think that people will have houses that much. Um, and then as a result of all of that, here's how much
0: oil we think the world is going to use, right? And that happened last week. It did happen last week. And as you were saying before we recorded this, the the entire purpose of these outlooks is to go to the shareholders, everything's fine, yeah. everything's bloody brilliant, just everyone stay calm. And they did that by making some truly heroic assumptions, didn't they? So, you know how the oil price is, like, off the scale low at the moment? I think it is now under $30 a barrel, which is not very much at all. BP says, don't worry, it's going to go back to $100 a barrel. And you know how, like, we're now starting to get a bit of a sort of tipping point in people taking up electric cars? Um, Well, well, BP go, don't worry, they're not going to catch on. That Everyone's going to keep driving petrol and diesel cars. Um, and then, you know how, like, 196 countries met in Paris at the end of last year and said, this climate stuff is really bad, let's have a deal to sort it out. They say, well, don't worry about that. I, I, I'm not, and in fact, well, let's hear what Arabella has to say. Yeah, Ole here. Uh, slight balls up in that it turns out Arabella was unavailable for comment. She's probably at the BAFTAs. Anyway, here's what that nice Mr Dale said. I'm not a climate scientist, but the mapping between carbon emissions and temperatures itself is a highly ill-defined and uncertain thing.
1: The only thing ill-defined and uncertain here, mate, is exactly how come all of the newspapers publish this corporate puff as news, but they do. do, So this is the terrifying thing about it. So I I was first alerted to the publication of this year's Energy Outlook coming as it does a couple of weeks before BP's AGM. This is BP who are in massive financial peril, by the way, which reassures its shareholders that don't worry, there's still going to be loads of oil in the future, right? And it was reported in the Financial Times and the Guardian and the Times and the Telegraph like it's news. BP, an oil company, predicts that the world is still going to use lots of oil. You don't convenient. <laughs> right? it's like uh, what's an example it's like Greg's can you imagine the boss of Greg's standing up a couple of days before Greg's is AGM and saying yeah we've thought about it we've looked at all of the various drivers going on and we don't think people are going to want to eat shit sandwiches 20 years from now so um, sorry about that you better pull your money out of course they don't it's just designed to keep the shareholders from freaking out which this year let me tell you and go back and listen to episode 42 for more they are going to do
0: also, oh, um, he's still going. I thought I, was, I thought <laughs> I was going to have a chance to say something there, but no, you you carry on. Also,
1: what the hell do you think? You're an oil company which has just had to pay out the best part of $10 billion to people for tipping oil all over them in the Gulf of Mexico, right? You are an oil company that 10, 15 years ago, whenever it was, changed your name to Beyond Petroleum because you pretended for a bit that you thought climate change was important. You're an oil company that has pulled its money slowly out of renewables as it started to freak out about all of the money it's losing. You are an oil company that was begging, pleading, if you remember, and I can't remember the episode, begging and pleading to be considered part of the climate solution right you are not very welcome what do you want to go around putting your economist gob piece up into the media for saying i'm not a climate scientist and actually maybe this whole climate thing is a bit overblown what do you think you're
0: doing the only way you should ever finish a sentence that begins i'm not a climate scientist but is with well we're just Just with a full stop. It should be, I'm not a climate scientist, therefore I'm going to shut the hell up. Or, I'm not a climate scientist, but this climate scientist over here is a climate scientist, and this is what is happening in climate science. You definitely don't finish it with anything like, I'm not a climate scientist, but some climate science is definitely wrong.
1: Let me tell you all, if on the way home from recording this podcast, I cycle underneath a bus and get squished, um, and I find myself lying on the operating table waiting for my operation, you know what I don't want to hear? I don't want to hear, I'm not an anaesthetist, but... (laughs) Dot, dot, dot.
0: Anti-enough of the week.
1: So, Anti-Inhoff of the Week. For every nincompoop, there is an equal and opposite anti-nincompoop. Someone who has done something wonderful and marvellous and heroic, who has stood up to the forces of Inhofdom and told them to get bent.
0: And who have we got this week all? Well, we have got hero of the hour and one of the most famous actors on the planet at the moment a chap Mm. called Mark Ruffalo I went to see his film Spotlight last weekend and it was very 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 good and it made me think oh I want to be an investigative journalist that looks so fun and one of the things I was listening to an interview with
1: Mark Ruffalo, and they said, "Did you enjoy playing that part in Spotlight when he is like an investigative journalist?" Um, and he said, "Yeah, because I'm an activist, and last week he was being activisty, wasn 't he, and
0: what was he being activisty about oh he was he was being activisty about fractivisty, he is a fracking activist." And he's come over to the UK to deliver a message to our dear leader, your friend of mine, friend of the Babel, David Cameron. Well, and- point of order. He's come over to the UK to do loads of interviews about that film he's doing. He's not come over specifically to have to to chuck a tennis ball at David Cameron, has he? (laughs) He might have done. He might have done. Well, anyway, coincidentally, while he was here to deliver a message to David Cameron, happily, there were some awards to be accepted as well. (laughs) So that's good, isn't it? Well done, him. The reason he's saying... How did he get here then? Pogo stick? That's always your answer, isn't it? Always your answer to someone flying around. Is it a pogo stick? So clever,
1: aren't you? Well, do you think... So we were talking earlier about whether it's all right for big fat businessmen to fly around. Do you think it's all right for big fat film stars to fly around? Why yes. Why is it all right for him and not for yes. big fat businessmen?
0: Well, we talked about it in episode 40 with Leo DiCaprio. Because, you know, if you're going to use your big power and fame and influence for good, then that's fine. Do it. Anyway... Uh, and I would just like to point out, listeners, that this is the second take we've had at this section because in the first take, apparently I wasn't direct enough and Dave has just, <laughs> just taken his whole narrative all over the place. Get on so, with this. <laughs> so I'll try and get back to what I was saying. Mark Ruffalo, this week's Andy Inhofe, is delivering a message to David Cameron because David Cameron's government are allegedly trying to uh, take into their own hands the latest decision about fracking. You will remember from previous episodes that the people of Lancashire said no to fracking. Woo! Yes, well done them. However, the company that is trying to frack there has appealed that decision and is trying to get it overturned. The issue is that the government is saying, we might step in and make this decision for you. In fact, they basically said they have, they will make this decision for you. And Mr. Ruffalo has delivered a stinging rebuke, is I guess what BBC people would call it. He's delivered a rather wonderful video in which he said this. Mr. Cameron, you're making a, a, an enormous mistake. And it's a legacy mistake, because there's no fracking that could be done safely.
1: So what do you reckon um, is a question, right? It is very good that Leonardo DiCaprio, and in this specific case, Mark Ruffalo, come out and have specific pops at people. And we talked about when James Hansen um, at the Mahousive Climate Talks, he had a pop at Cameron as well, the guy from NASA, uh, about fracking and saying, Mr. Cameron, don't frack, basically, if you remember. I do, Um, I do. Do
0: you think that Mr. Cameron gives a shit? (laughs) I don't think he's like personally worried. I think he might be interested in the politics of it all um, because he's always been a bit of a weather vane, hasn't he, Cameron? He goes whichever what way. What a big th- cock. You want to keep that in? You want to <laughs> keep that bit in where you're describing the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom as a big cock, Dave? No, yep. we yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. That one stays. Uh, that isn't quite what I meant when I said "weather vein." I more meant he points whichever way the wind is blowing. And lots of people, both on his side of politics and on and against him, have always sort of leveled that accusation at him. And so he might look at this and think, well. Oscar-nominated actor, probably one of the more famous people in showbiz at the moment, making an impassioned plea to me to not do a thing. People will listen to that. Maybe more people will listen to that than will think the opposite. Maybe that's the way I should go. That is how he might think.
1: No he won't. I'll tell you why he won't, right? Because the only places that care about this are the Guardian and the Left. And people are upset about not fracking true. anyway. Not I don't true. think That's not true. Go on in. That's but not why, true. But why why would why would someone like if if you think fracking is bad anyway, you think fracking's bad anyway. If you think fracking is good anyway, then a film star coming out telling you it's bad ain't going to change your mind, is it? Like, is, is it not, It's just it's someone who yeah, thinks but a thing, might telling change, other might... people
0: who already think a thing that the person doing the thing they don't think is right is wrong. The point is that people don't really like fracking when it is coming on their doorstep. So you don't see very many people in Birmingham going, don't frack Lancashire, although some are doing it. But I bet you if they start trying to frack Birmingham, the people of Birmingham will say, sod off. And this is the problem. You need to frack in lots and lots of places to have any sort of industry and they're just not going to face any public support locally if they try and do it. So I, I, th- I think my prediction, and I know we've not been doing predictions for a while, my prediction is that fracking ain't going to happen on any meaningful scale in this country. I think there'll be some, but not a lot. <laughs> So that is just about it for a lovely, lovely, cuddly sustainababble. I do hope you've had a nice Valentine's Day. I do hope somebody bought you a box of milk tray and left you a torn up love letter that they flushed down the loo
1: thanks very much all for being so lovely and lovable Uh, we would like to thank as always the incredibly beautiful Dickie Moore for the music that starts and ends and intertwinkles this podcast (laughs) and the splendiferous but not
0: romantically available Arabella for reading out all the babble well done Arabella I bet she got millions of Valentine's cards uh, we'll have to ask. You can send us a note of a love letter if you like. You can drop us a line anywhere you like via the Twitter at the Babble Wagon. You can search for us on Facebook, just search for Sustainable Babble, or you can send us an email. Hello at sustainababble.fish Okay, thanks very much all and see
1: you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
0: climate campaigner who can't remember what their mother looks like
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> you mustn't give me open goals like that. <laughs> <laughs> you really mustn't i'm not going to do it but you mustn't say things like
0: that. it's a test